Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is 2 Corinthians 3.5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Dear friends in Christ, we are living in a time of great peril and danger. It appears that God is using the worldwide coronavirus pandemic, along with its underlying socialist and globalist agenda, to get our attention and call humanity to repentance. Our modern society is descending into greater and greater depths of insanity, ignorance, and irrationality. But dear friends in Christ, God is still on his throne. God is building his church in these last days leading up to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this hour of trial, I come to you with a sure word from the Lord. True followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are upheld by God. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3.5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. What does sufficiency mean? Webster defines sufficiency as enough equal to the end, adequate, competent. Sufficiency refers to having what it takes, having enough to complete the task. If there are sufficient dollars in the bank account, the payment can be made. If there is sufficient fuel in the tank, the car can drive. What Paul is saying here in our passage, 2 Corinthians 3.5, is that his adequacy his enough, his competence derives entirely from God. To put it another way, his sufficiency comes from Christ living in him. Now this notion is utterly contrary to everything we are taught in our modern society. The world tells us that the self, not the indwelling Christ, is the center and foundation of life. We are told to think positive, to have a positive mental attitude, 
to bolster our sagging self-esteem and to become the very best selves we can be. One best-selling author says, self-esteem is the beginning and the ending to all success. It is the basis for our ability to love others and to try to accomplish a worthy goal without fear. We must feel love within ourselves before we can give love to another. This statement, dear friends, is wrong-headed on so many levels. The Bible says that the beginning of all success in life is the fear of God, not the seed of self-esteem. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Do you see how this emphasis on self-esteem and on building up the self is so contrary to biblical teaching and to the entire Christian worldview? The Bible says that we are not to try to feel love within. We are to deliberately surrender our lives, our will, our affections to God so that he may pour out his love through us to others. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Christian life is a divine synergy. The grace of the Holy Spirit permeates our lives like yeast in the making of bread. He leads us to continual repentance a continuous exodus from ourselves into union and communion with Christ. The Christian life is not self-confidence or self-esteem, but Christ-confidence, letting God be sovereign Lord in and through our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 depicts the Christian life as a partnership with God. God works in us and we cooperate with that working to accomplish his will. What a glorious partnership. So what is God's part and what is man's part in this partnership? Paul is saying that he is not competent, not capable of doing anything in his own strength. And notice that he says he isn't even able to think anything except by the power of God in him. Experts say that the human mind thinks about 2,100 thoughts per hour or over 50,000 thoughts per day. That's incredible. Yet the text here in 2 Corinthians 3 says that we aren't even able to think a thought apart from the grace and power of God working in our minds. St. Augustine said in his theory of divine illumination that the mind cannot understand truth without the aid of God, who is the author of all truth. It makes complete sense. Over and over, the Bible teaches that man is completely helpless to think or do any good apart from God's grace. God is the author and giver of all. He commands us to live a holy life which pleases him and accomplishes his will, but we cannot do that. Jesus said in John 15, Apart from me you can do nothing. 
He meant what he said. God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things. God is the prime mover. This is why at the end of every sermon I preach, I quote Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God the Father sent the Lord Jesus the Son to bring estranged man back into union with God so that he might live his life through those who believe upon him. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of them. What does he mean? He is teaching us God's part and man's part in daily spiritual experience. God quite literally does everything, but not without our responsible cooperation with him. To place ourselves in the path of union and communion with God requires unceasing vigilance of spirit and a constant effort of will. A pastor once told me, God will not get you up in the morning to read the Bible and pray. That's your part. Set your schedule, turn on your alarm, get up and get into the Word of God. But once you get up and purpose in your mind to read and pray, God will do the rest. An anonymous monk in the early church said, You will achieve nothing by your own efforts alone. Yet God will not give you anything unless you work with all your strength. Let's look at this another way. St. Theophan, a wise and godly Russian priest, lived from 1813 to 1894. He wrote, A man has three layers of life, that of the spirit, of the soul, and of the body. Each of these has its sum of needs, natural and proper to a man. These needs are not all of equal value, but some are higher and others lower, and the balanced satisfaction of them gives a man peace. Spiritual needs are the highest of all, and when they are satisfied, then there is peace, even if the others are not satisfied. But when spiritual needs are not satisfied, then even if the others are satisfied abundantly, there is no peace. Therefore, the satisfaction of them, the spiritual needs, is called the one thing needful. Do you see what the modern world has done, dear friends? It has replaced sound Christian teaching from the Bible and from the Holy Fathers about satisfying our true spiritual needs with modern psychobabble about self-esteem and self-actualization. And the problem is that this same wrong-headed talk has infiltrated down into the modern church. The Bible clearly teaches that because of God's mercy and grace, we are saints, the holy people of God, his royal priesthood cleansed and washed by the blood of Christ. But we are also simultaneously unprofitable servants wretched sinners and debtors to his mercy and liable at any time to fall headlong into dire calamity. When we consider our status as saints, we are tempted in the direction of pride and complacency. The thought goes something like this, 
I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm baptized. I'm a member of the church covered by the righteousness of Christ and cleansed by his blood. I've taken care of my eternal soul. Now I must get on with the task of daily living. I need to figure out ways that I can protect myself from the pandemic. No, beloved, that is to completely misunderstand the meaning of justification and sanctification and the whole Christian life. Because Christ died for us, he has abolished the power of sin and death and brought us into a living day-by-day process of being transformed, continually being changed into the likeness of Christ. Christ has clothed us in his righteousness in order that we may now cooperate with him to become by grace what God is by nature. But as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, we cannot please him in the strength of our own willpower. We must have his Holy Spirit living within us. The way forward into the kingdom of God and eternal life is to repent of pride, complacency, independence, and self-sufficiency altogether. The way forward is Galatians 2.20. Listen to this wonderful verse, my friends. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. As Hebrews 12.2 says, we keep looking unto Jesus. We turn away from ourselves and receive from him all we need to live a holy life that is pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Once we understand this truth, then we will understand Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Self-sufficient people don't talk this way, dear friends. Only God-dependent people talk this way. And what is the key to all these things? The wonderful word, humility. We do well to pay close attention to the structure and flow of our weekly worship. Do you see how naturally and beautifully the language of unworthiness prevails in our worship? Why? Because it is the language of humility. And without humility, no progress can be made in our spiritual life. It is only the poor in spirit who cling to the Lord by prayer. It is only the poor in spirit who constantly depend upon their Lord. It is only the humble who discover within themselves the greatness of the name of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit to produce the life of the risen Lord within us. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. 
heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Now let's see how man's part and God's part in the adventure of the Christian life are played out in the Gospels. Take, for example, the account of the healing of the deaf man in Mark chapter 7. Some people brought the man who was deaf and dumb to Jesus. The man had a terrible hearing and speech impediment, and his friends begged the Lord to lay his hand on him and heal him. This was an act of humility on their part. Their responsibility was to bring the man to Jesus and beg that he would heal him. God's part was to pour his miraculous life through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to effect healing upon the deaf and dumb man. Jesus is who he claims to be, dear friends. He is the Messiah of God. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a heart and the tongue of the dumb will sing. How was this possible? Because Jesus is God in action on the earth. What greater sign could there be than the person of Jesus Christ walking in our midst for those 33 years, God in the flesh. Jesus said in John 14, 9, He who sees me sees the Father also. Jesus is the visible representation of the Father. But in order for us to encounter him in the 21st century, we must be humble enough to come to him through his living word, the Bible, and through the blessing of the Holy Communion. Every time we open the word of God and every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we enter into God's kingdom. We enter into the fullness of God's grace. We proclaim the supremacy and sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. We put ourselves upon the path where he can live his life through us. It is no wonder that Paul took no credit for anything. It is no wonder that he said that his sufficiency was entirely from God himself. For it is God who qualifies us to minister in the new covenant a covenant not written by the law, but of the Spirit. 
We are involved in a great mystery, my friends, the mystery of God's living word, the Bible, and the mystery of the real presence of Christ's body and blood in the communion. Both the sacrament of the word and the sacrament of our Lord's body and blood require our responsible partnership with God if we are to receive the spiritual good that each is intended to provide. Our part is to humble ourselves. Our part is to repent of pride, complacency, independence, and self-sufficiency. Our part is to enter into our bounden duty to worship God rightly, obediently, reverently, and then receive through our worship His incarnate life. God's part is to pour out his Holy Spirit upon his church as we worship him and express the life of his Son through us. So we do our part and God does his part and his will is done through us. Christ becomes incarnate in the world now in his church, the body of Christ. And for what reason? to bring lost men and women to repentance and faith in the gospel. The church is not a happiness and holiness club, but a hospital for sinners. We come to God with our hearts full of adoration and praise. We confess our sins. We receive forgiveness. We are fed the medicine of immortality. And then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit on a mission to bring Christ incarnate to our lost world in this time and place. This, my friends, is a glorious calling, comforted by his living supernatural word and the grace of the Holy Communion. We joyfully proclaim the light and life of Jesus as the hope of the world. Do you see yourself in partnership with God? Are you doing your part in the partnership? Are you obediently surrendering to God so that he can do his part through you? So my dear friends in Christ, in this hour of trial, receive this sure word from the Lord. True followers of the Lord Jesus are upheld by him. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Lift up your hearts to the Lord. Trust in his holy word. This is an exciting time to be alive. Jesus Christ is your sufficiency. Turn to him and put your whole trust in him. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, there are some of you listening who have never yet turned to the Lord Jesus and made him Savior and Lord of your life. My friends, this is your time. Judgment is coming. Don't wait to turn to the Lord. Turn to him today. Call upon his name. Believe on him and trust him and his death for you on the cross. Repent of your sins. Do it right now and put your faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. He is your God. He is your Savior. Believe on him now before it is too late. Amen.
For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.